welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope this finds you well. Today I'm going to be joined by Jerry Colonna, who's actually been on the podcast before. We had a great conversation, so I recommend you check that one out. Today we're going to be talking about a few things. We'll talk about the state of coaching, some of the trends that have emerged in coaching that Jerry actually is critiquing, and Jerry will talk about what he thinks coaching is really about. And we'll talk about the role of intuition, trusting your intuition, bringing that into the work we do as coaches. And I think this happened last time, but uh, Jerry also turns the table and uh, inquires, follows that intuition and begins to inquire into why am I asking some of the questions I ask? So it's a really rich conversation. Jerry is the CEO and co-founder of Reboot, which is an executive coaching and leadership development firm. He previously worked as a partner with JP Morgan Partners and has been a board member for more than 100 different organizations and also is the author of the book Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. Okay, just before we dive in, if you want to check out more of what we're up to, we, we provide online training for coaches. So you can head to coachesrising.com and check out some of the offerings that we have there. And if you are not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about what we create, then also on our homepage, you'll find a sign-up box to scroll down, stick your name and address in there, and you'll join our ever-growing global community of coaches. All right, so let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Jerry Colonna. How are you doing? Good, actually. Good. Yeah, genuinely. I, I had two of the roughest years of my life, and I feel like I'm coming out of something so it's it's nice to experience stability and vitality again after two incredibly difficult years. So, well, just remember that that experience is essentially universal, and it's just a reinforcement of the fact that you're not alone. Yeah, it does feel like that's that's a message for us all right now. I mean, it's all always been a message, hasn't it? I think, but right now, I think it's especially pertinent. I think that I think the difference is that we knew this intellectually, and now we're experiencing it viscerally. Yeah. And, uh, when we stop and pay attention, when we get out of our own the bubble of our own experience, we start to see that. Oh wait, just like me, the last two years have been really, really difficult. Just like me, just as for, with me. And I find that it doesn't make the difficulty go away. It just makes the difficulty easier to be with. I mean, I hate to sound like a Buddhist, but isn't that the point of community? Isn't that the point of us all being together? I mean, I'm teasing when I say I hate to sound like it, but you know, that's, that's kind of the experience. It's what the teachings, whether it's Buddhist or you know, any wisdom tradition um, teaches is that, you know, we turn to community. We turn to the universal experiences for comfort. And then if you want to, you know, get an A plus in the class, recognizing that rather than staying in our own bubble of our own challenge, we recognize that the others are going through others are going through similar things 
and so then we can do the the really great jujitsu move of focusing on helping them, and by doing so, we help ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I just did was unpack that notion of compassion, right? But we take it out of the intellectualized experience and into a visceral experience. You know, for me, um, so many of our coaches will will say, you know, how do, how do I coach? in a time like this. And I said, well, pay attention to what the experience is. And if you're really fully present to the client, you might feel tired at the end of the day. You'll probably feel better. And that's the, that jujitsu move that uh, where you use the energy that's coming at you in a different way and you create presence and compassion and empathy for others. Actually, I did want to ask you about what you're talking about already, which is, you know, I mentioned it's been a really difficult couple of years for me and we see that around the world with everything going on. And you just mentioned this jujitsu move that you're inviting the coaches that, that work with Reboot to, to make. And I just wondered if you feel like there's a call in these times for coaches to to show up in a different way with everything we're facing collectively. And it might be that that was the way we were always meant to show up and do our best work, but it's just now we've really got permission. <laughs> you know, just, but I just wonder what you think about that. Well, you know, I mean, I'll go to your last point. Yes, yes. Um what is coaching? Right? Um, I think that here's the way I would interpret what you're saying and, and might put a lens on it. There is uh, a movement among coaching, among coaches, which um, despite our best training with its core belief system that the client is whole and has the answers. I have found that some coaches, maybe many, um, still are trapped in the belief system that they're supposed to have the answers. And that their job is to tell the client what to do. Or it gets kind of sophisticated, it gets kind of nuanced. It's to uh, measure the quality of a coaching experience by whether or not the client has advanced in their career or lost the 15 pounds that they were seeking. From the language that I learned when I was trained as a coach, they get wrapped up in the presenting agenda. They get wrapped up in the, I am unhappy. I want to lose 15 pounds. Okay. And so everybody gets, we build these structures, we build these systems, we build reporting structures. I mean, I've even heard of coaches, you know, quote, holding their client accountable by sending them messages every day. Okay, that's infantilizing. Okay, it actually goes against the core belief of coaching, which is that the client is whole and has the answers themselves. Remember, our root teachers come from Carl Rogers and the belief system that Carl Rogers taught about psychology, 
and and therapy and psychodynamic therapy in advance of the wholeness of the person. That's that's our lineage. But we get wrapped up in this notion of performance. And then what happens? Well, the world sucks. And the truth is the, the coach is sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Inflation's through the roof. And so then, now you're in this posture, this false posture of speaking to the client as if you have the answers when the little voice in your head says, you haven't a fucking clue as to what to do about the world. And what's happened to the client? Dropped. They don't exist. And there's no conscious dialogue about this the client just walks away going, fuck, I feel like shit. I can't even feel good in a coaching session. Now, long-winded way back to your original point. We were never supposed to be in that stance in the first place. That's not coaching. That's mentoring. That's consulting. The, 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 the coaching stance is about presence. Doug Silsby's incredible book, The Mindful Coach. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the pronunciation of his name. Excuse me. Look at um, Mindful Leadership Coaching. It's about the presence. It's about who we are in that engagement. We create in our self-soothing, in our self-awareness, a mirrored surface bowl so that the client can put all of their hair on fire, crazy feelings into the bowl. And then we stand shoulder to shoulder with the client and we say, look at that. Look at what the opportunity is. Look at the challenge. Look at the roots of that. Why do you believe that? with a string of well-asked questions rooted in that presence. And then we hand back to the client a whole reconstructed, reframed point of view, thus reinforcing what the client has lost sight of in the first place, which is that they know what to do. Now, now people will say, well, why do I need a coach to tell me what I already know? It's because you're befuddled. You're mind boggled. To quote uh, Anchorman, I think it is. I think of Will Ferrell. You're mind boggled. You're like, well, I can't figure it out. Right? So you go to the coach who knows you, who has that sensibility, who can track, ah, There's that self-denigrating thought again. There's that complicitness in diminishing self again. And with love and fierce compassion, you point it out. And you move, you, you work with the client so that they move step by step closer to what it is that they're looking for. Fuck the lose the 15 pounds. I'm just writing that down, what they're looking for. I want to come back to that. Uh, So many questions I want to ask based on what you just shared. Do you think that 
this is a result of, you know, it does seem that now that there's more and more coaching happening um, in organizations. It's a golden era of coaching and, and that there is perhaps that performance type of coaching has maybe it's what if a coaching firm is, is um, you know, enrolling corporate clients, maybe that's what the corporations want to hear, you know, that we can help your employees perform better. And, you know, this notion, it seemed to me like some of the clients I'd worked with, it started off, we would do 15 sessions or 12, and then it went down to five. And then it was like, you know, there's this expectation that in three sessions, someone would, you know, completely get a handle and start performing in this um, kind of like the perfect man, perfect woman type way that do you, do you think that's becoming more popular or more prevalent, that performance style coaching? I guess you're saying that that's what's happened. Yeah? Well, to quote you back to you, there's a lot in your question. I'm always wary of constructs and questions that begin with, do you think that there's a change? There's a trend. I'm wary because, or I find it, I'm hesitant, not wary. I'm hesitant because the answer almost always is yes and no. Yes, from when I started coaching 18 years ago, there is less stigma associated with it. Um, coaching does seem to have moved from the you're, you're getting a coach because you're in trouble to you're getting a coach because it's natural and it's a wise move. Now, that said, I remember reading articles about that 18 years ago, about that movement. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to acknowledge that there's a there's a tension, a dichotomic, a dichotomy between why do we coach within an organization, why do we not coach? Like what what's going on there? And the coaching there is always and has always been an undercurrent of what is the return on investment. By the way, therapists deal with this as well. Right. When I talk to, to people and I say I've been in psychoanalysis for over 30 years, they're like, well, aren't you done yet? And it's like, and it's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding that the goal isn't, it, it's like saying, well, I've been meditating for almost 20 years. Aren't you done yet? Haven't you learned? Right. And it's a practice. It's a way of being. Right. And just like in a therapeutic environment, yes, you're dealing with acute challenges that's what good coaching does but you're also supporting a a long-term transformation and a practice of being in 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 the case that we do at reboot the best possible leaders that we can be right now sometimes um just, just, just like when, when you have, you know, the United States, we have a health insurance system that is a cocktail, to use a good Yiddish word, that uh, says, you know, somebody's got depression, acute depression, they can get 10 sessions with a therapist. I'm just making the number up. And then they're supposed to be done, right? And that's just absurd, Right? But there is that mindset that is very much driven. It's linked to that performative performance notion, which is 
say these three things, go through these three hours of conversation, and then somehow your improve your performance is going to improve one percent, two percent, and then we can justify it. And there's a uh, you know ROI analysis that says the ten thousand dollars that you spent for that coaching has resulted in fifty thousand dollars of value creation. Yeah, I can speak that language, and it's bullshit. I mean, it's just. Now, what I will say is that having, there is a return on investment. And the return on investment, though, is not measured in weekly, monthly, quarterly increments. Because what do you do with the client who makes progress and then takes a step back, like every other human being? What do you do with the client who grows and is at new edges? They grow from being a really talented independent contributor to a quasi-talented manager to a really challenged leader. What do you do? Abandon them? Congratulations. You're now working harder. So like the whole mindset is built around measurable outcome. So I'm going to pause there, give you a chance to breathe because I know I've been, I have I'm on my third cup of coffee, so look out. But I want to, if we can, get to why that happens. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, because as you're sort of articulating this, I can sense, it's, it's kind of like what you said about the client is whole. Then we've forgotten that in a way. And I just feel, if I, if I zoom out again, we're going to zoom in. I'm sure more, but if I zoom out, it just seems like we're in a crisis of modernity in a way. And uh, perhaps we've privileged the rational mind and its tendency to want to solve problems and break things down and analyze things and reduce things into parts and to make linear progress and to to kind of conquer nature. I'm not saying the rational mind per se is, is oriented to conquering nature, but perhaps our modern mindset, you know, and um, that many beautiful things have come out of modernity, but that perhaps it's led us into a certain relationship with the world, the environment, and, uh, you know, how we collaborate and do business together. And that, it just seems like we are collect. I wonder if we're collectively ready to kind of ah, like because when I hear you speaking, I, 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 like this part of me takes this out breath where I'm like, ah, oh, great, Jerry's like t- talking sanity, you know? I'm saying what you have been feeling in your body, right? Exactly, you know, and uh, you know, what happens for you as soon as right. you take the out breath? What happens? What's the internal dialogue that pops in? But exactly, exactly. I, I can't be like this. So this isn't, yeah, this isn't enough for. Is this enough? Okay. So you just find all of this is part of a crisis of modernity. And we're going to get a little philosophical. This is a uh, post age of reason phenomena that you're identifying. And it's uh Uh, Like so many other aspects of our life, there's a positive side and there's a negative side. And what you're touching upon is the negative side of that. And philosophically, 
I mean, you can come at this through the aperture of capitalism, right? What is the purpose of a business except to create wealth? You see the outcome result of that. You can come at it from a kind of um, uh, religious, not spiritual, religious point of view. Like, what is the purpose of a life well lived? Well, it's to get into heaven, right? As opposed to the pleasure of a life well lived, the pleasure of ethics, right? What is the purpose of an education? To get in a good grade and to get to the next level. And then you die like what? Right. So so you've got all of these variations on the same theme. What is the purpose of leadership development? I mean, I argue in my book that the purpose of leadership development should be your and your growth as a human being. Rather than where the, the byproduct of that is a better led organization and better results, but it's not the measure of the effort, right? And you can make all these arguments, well, you know, you can have a very, very well led by good human organization that doesn't perform financially well, but more likely, because we see this all over, you have organizations that are designed solely to create return on investment that are shit shows, that are terrible places to work. Right. Right. So, um, you know, is this a crisis of modernity? Sure. I mean, Freud would argue in civilization and its discontents that it's the disconnection, right, from nature. That's one of the root causes. Carl Jung would argue similarly. Um, and he'd take it even further, the disconnect from, from the, the, the archetypes of who we are as a species. But I think as rooted in, you know, it's, it's religion versus spirituality, right? Uh, it's it's the, the empty container of religion lacking the spirituality. Right. And, you know, we've had, you know, revolutions even within religions uh, for thousands of years where people have dealt with this tension, you know, monks going off into the desert because they could not stand the construct of the container of the church that they were anointed in. Right. And really getting back to the root. So you're really touching upon something quite profound. And let's, if we may, bring it back to the the day-to-day experience. Okay, I said before that I'm always a little wary around the, in these days, the life has changed. Okay. I think that, um, I think that there are some changes that have occurred. And the changes are uh, linked to the speed of, with which information and our connected collective experience starts to show up. Um, if I say to you, is there a mass mandate that you're operating under right now? You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, whereas 20 years ago, you might have looked at me like I had 
two heads. What are you talking about? There's a local health problem, when, right? And so we have this sort of global experience that's on display. It was always there. It just wasn't on display. And one of the global experiences that is happening, and partially because of the struggle of the last few years, uh, is a re-examination. We're in that cycle. And it's a re-examination of purpose. What the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why, why do I put in my hours? Why do I do this? To what end? Um, Last week, I was a speaker at a conference here in, uh, nearby in Denver called the Conscious Entrepreneurs Summit. They did a great job. And when we, I went on stage with the, with the host, the first question I asked was, to what end? Why are we being conscious? What are we looking for? Right? Um, because the danger is that we're looking to be quote unquote mindful in the way you go to the gym in order to take a yoga class, right? That yoga at the gym is disconnected from its spirituality. And anybody who has practiced yoga for a long period of time will tell you that the true transformation occurs when it's connected to the spirituality, to that deeper sense of what is this about, mm-hmm. right? And the pursuit of consciousness, the pursuit of mindfulness in business, to what end? Oh, we don't want it to suck when we go to work. Okay, now that's language I can understand. We don't want to be mean. We don't want to feel like crap at the end of the day. We want to feel proud of what we're doing. And we want to hang out with people that we love and care about. Right? It's not consciousness for its own sake. It's consciousness to alleviate suffering. I guess I, I, I wonder how much do you connect the work you do to the spiritual in the coaching that you do, you know, whether that's explicit or implicit. Yeah, actually, let me just stop there. Um, what's the question in your head? behind the question that you've just asked me? Because you were asking, you, you went to this summit and it was a yeah. uh, conscious business summit. And uh, you said, well, yoga in a gym, you know, when it's disconnected from its spirituality, it loses, kind of loses the transmission yeah, well, of the yoga. Why is that question important to you? Mm, okay, yeah. What, what you know, there's, there, there was something before, for example, about is that enough? And then all of a sudden, intuitively, it felt that again. Yeah, great question. Because because it feels like, well, at least it, that's important to me. Yeah, like there's something in my own life that's that's had me ask those deeper questions. You know, like uh, for the sake of what? And what are you asking me, really? When you asked me, let me reframe the question back to you. Yeah. You asked me, in effect, do I speak of spirituality in a coaching session? That was the way I took in the question. Yeah, or, or connect the work you do okay. and the work, the journey people on to the spiritual. Right. What's your longing? Of, yeah. 
Say again. When you, ask, when you ask that question of me, what are you longing for? Well, I'm longing. I, I love to do that in my own work. And I'm longing well, why for don't that you? in my life. Hmm? Why don't you? I do. I do. So yeah. are you seeking permission? No, but more. Uh, yeah, it's good. I'm not seeking permission. <laughs> All right, let me slow down. Let me slow down. Quote. You're right. You're right. But wait, well, let me check. Let me check. Yeah, I think I let me answer it this way. I think my journey has been a process of seeking permission to do that. Yeah, and that's a breaking a breaking down of the compartmentalization of my life. Yeah. So so it's a lot less compartmentalized than it was. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Can I? How, how could I put it? It's like, can I live my highest spiritual longings and realizations when I go to buy milk in the shop? Sure. Or when, I, when I'm sitting across from a client trying to be fully present to them, when I'm mindful of the fact that somebody is ticking off a, you know, a ledger saying, what's the return on investment? Wait a minute. What's he, what's he talking about over here? Right. If, am, am, am I naming something that's real for you? Uh, not so much anymore, less, yeah, because I actually, A, um, work with private clients now mm -hmm. because in organizations I was tired of playing that <laughs> right. game and I felt the third entity of the, uh, the business in the background and I just find when I'm working with my private clients, there's just a clarity of container right. where there is there's no holding back. We're, we're here to play this game. Yeah, right. That's the game and, we step into. And, and I, I applaud that for you because what you're doing, uh, I think, uh, is showing up whole for the client and inadvertently or maybe uh, indirectly manifesting and modeling what does it mean to show up whole for one's life, you know? Right. Let me tell you, let me answer your question. Because I have another, a bit more to say as well. And, and then, um, yeah, please. Uh, but you, oh, okay. I could go first. Like the fire behind why I ask you, do you bring the spiritual into your work is because it's the question around modernity. It's, it's just, uh, I might personally feel that we, um, it comes back to this thing around performance, yeah? Like, we've got mm. caught in the game of self-improvement, of, of um, coming from a place of lack, saying, oh, there's this place that mm -hmm. when I'm in that place, then I'll be good enough, you know? Right. Um, and this, what's here now, that's in the way, yeah? And so I need to get that out of the way and get to that place. And then I'll be like, and we've kind of bought into this idea of, like, the perfect man, the perfect woman, the perfect employee, Right. And like you said, we're fucking suff suffocating. Yes. You know? and, yes. And at the same time, we're disconnected from each other. We're burnt out. We're stressed out. And therefore, people are not giving their gifts. They're not playing their music in, in life. Amen. And we're, we're, uh, we're, we're killing the planet in the process because we're, we're, we're then hyper-materialistic, you know, to compensate. And so there's this depth that's missing. And so that's why I bring in this question of the spiritual. It's like that for me is like what's breaking through 
perhaps more forcefully and right now. And it is um, tragic in a sense, like we're, 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 we're in a reckoning. I think you said this, like we're in some kind of reckoning. It's painful and we need to, we need to um, br- embrace that pain. Yeah. But from our wholeness, yeah? It's a yeah. thing. And that, this is the last thing I'll say. It's like we, we, we bought into that self-improvement game, but it's too shallow to help us deal with our brokenheartedness. But our wholeness, presence, can include our brokenheartedness in, the, in a way that it can, that it can, I don't want to put a positive spin on this, that like, therefore it can be transformed and we're all, shiny again it's then it can break down and there is a kind of transfiguration taking yeah. place and we can yeah anyway so that's, that's yeah that's what i wanted to add yeah I, I i i wholeheartedly agree with every observation that you're making and i would build upon it in a couple of ways the first is i often joke that the self-help section of a bookstore such that bookstores still exist is really the self-denigration section Right? I walk through the, the aisle and I look at all the ways in which I need to fix myself. And um, I agree with you. It, uh, there is this implicit uh, negative self-view behind that. And it, it's behind the performative coaching. You, you linked it to modernity. Again, I can look at it through the aperture of capitalism and say, well, why, why is it that that, in, in what way does that message help maintain a fixation on using a product or service, right? What is it that we're looking to do when we scroll through Instagram, aside from having our brain wired in a particular way? We're trying to have a life that, you know, someone else seems to have, right? And the seems to have is the, that's the falsity of it. And the truth is, uh, we've had wisdom traditions in variety of, of uh, you know, versions teaching us the falsity of that for millennia, right? Whether it's a Judeo-Christian tradition, whether it's a, you know, non-religious uh, tradition, philosophical tradition coming from the Greeks, to to the eastern philosophies i mean they've all been saying the same thing it's like what are you doing stop right and it's this treadmill now i think that there's a couple things going on and i know that i'll speak just about myself but i i wonder if this will connect with you i think that um when i first began coaching uh, I carried a lot of the same anxieties about performance. I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to excel, right? But uh, it was like the first time I went to a meditation instruction session and, you know, the teacher just had us plunge in and, you know, following the minimalist instruction. And then after five minutes of sitting, he asked, okay, who in the room was fixated on getting an A in the class? And of course, my hand shut up. I was like, I get A's all the time, you know? So what has happened over my life is as I've slip-slided my way into elderhood, I've become, and this is the way coaching has changed me. 
I've become more and more comfortable with just showing up as I am. And shh, don't tell anybody, but I've become a better coach, right? And I, I joke about whispering with that because I don't want to do it so that I can be a better coach. I want to do it because it's the right thing to do, to just show up. Um, I'll tell you about a funny moment I had when I was coaching and I trusted my instinct and then second-guessed myself afterwards. Okay, and it's kind of the woo-woo part. I had a client who uh, was so mind-boggled that he just could not speak about what was really going on for him. And he dutifully came to every session and we would sit there and I would find myself just floating in these in the ether, just like disconnected from what was going on. And that's not usually me. And so sometimes I thought it was, well, I didn't have enough caffeine or it was late in the day. And so I changed the session to an early in the day and nothing was changing. So finally, after about a year, he begins to connect with why, he, right, the, the deeper agenda. And he begins talking about uh, the guilt that he felt that he uh, had moved away from his parents across the world and that his father, who had committed suicide, um, that he wasn't there to be with his father and that in his mind he carried this image that if only he had stayed close to home, he would have prevented his father from killing himself. And my whole body relaxed because it was like, oh, finally, we're talking about the real thing, right? But this is the weird part. A few sessions later, we're talking, and he's finally talking about all of it. And I I just found myself, and I feel guilty about this because it was a little bit of a fixing. I just found myself saying, because he's literally the same age as my oldest son. And I, look, and I found myself feeling like I was embodying his father. Mm-hmm. And I said, what if, something like, what if what your father really feels is proud of who you are and how you went out into the world at large? In fact, there's a piece of me that feels like he's over my shoulder right now telling me to tell you that you're a good son and that he still loves you. It was a phenomenal moment. And, and he burst into tears and was, was sobbing with, with relief. I finished the session and I called my uh, therapist who was, I was using as a supervisor. And I said, did I do this right? It felt like a fixing. It felt like this. It felt like this. And she said to me something that she said to me many, many times. She said, Jerry, remember there's a right way and there's a wrong way and there's a way that works. She said, did it work? And I said, I think it worked. She said, then it was right. And there's such wisdom in that because it released me from uh, maybe not totally I still feel a little guilty but 
I spoke from a heart. I spoke from a compassionate place. I, I dropped in that moment any sense that I had to respond to the surface level presenting agenda. And he wanted to build his firm. He wanted to be a good entrepreneur, blah, 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 blah. All the bullshit. And released the guilt. Now, you know, way back when my coaching teachers would say, stop, you know, you were doing this, this was wrong. And it's like, I just know that he left and, you know, he stayed with me for another year. He left happy. And what was the point of it all? So he could make a few extra bucks? Anyway. Well, I, I thought of that story when we were talking about whether yeah. or not you're spiritual, you know. Falling into wholeness, maybe that was the... Yeah point of it i um, love that phrase yeah it, uh I, I love that story because um you know maybe it's good that new coaches get training it is good that new coaches get training and mm -hmm. they learn they learn what coaching is and you know you said before about when you showed up as yourself then your coaching got better and mm. i think that's true for me too. You know, it's like, yeah, the, that sense of wanting to be a good coach, help your client transform how all of that can be barriers to, can feel like a weight, then you feel responsible for the client. And mm. in this moment, it just sounded like you, you were in a space where an open, I mean, maybe you didn't say this, but I, I might be adding these words, but there was an open space where you could tune into something that was showing up for you. Mm -hmm. and trust that and allow it to move through you and that that had an intelligence to it that that touched your client and it's beyond method it's beyond you know what's coaching what's therapy what's right or wrong it's just it's something that's that has a kind of you know um, a transmission to it perhaps the um what's what's coming to mind is i remember in early on in my days uh um, when i was training there was uh, a heavy emphasis on form the form of the question the, the you know when do you interrupt when do you just sit silently what are you speaking um i think we talked about why am i talking um uh, you know like all of that structure and the piece that I had the most difficulty with was trusting intuition. And I think back now, I think it's because the way it was presented, and I don't mean any disrespect to those who trained me, but the way it was presented, it was within the, con within the context of a form. Okay, so you ready? Now trust your intuition. Go. It, it, you know, it doesn't flow like that. Um. Uh, and that's what I, the way I was trying to do it, right? Uh, okay, I got to put aside my own feelings and I have to trust my intuition. And what is my intuition telling me? I've now lost connection to the point. Like I'm totally not there. Uh, 
um, what I have learned over time is to trust those feelings, right? So I was even feeling something behind the question that you were you were asking in that moment. Yeah, go ahead. Because I, I wanted to ask you about that too. So I was one like, what had you? Ask me those questions you were asking me before. Is that what you're referring to? That's, now? Yeah, that's the feeling right. I had, right? And, yeah. you know, it, it, I had to suspend. You know, when I studied film in college, we had this, this phrase, which was, you know, that the film goer experience is a suspension of disbelief. I had to suspend actually all these belief systems, all of these concerns that, uh, you know, cognition of the fact that you have an audience and that we're talking to coaches. I had to put us in that little moment, in the nanosecond, I had to look through the screen and see a human being. And in one, in that moment, I had one eye on you and one eye on what I was feeling. And I had to suspend the fear of being wrong because I wasn't 100% right, but I was sort of in the general neighborhood, that there was something much more powerful behind the question that you were asking me, right? right? Now, if I was solely focused on being the sage on the stage, look at me, I'm so bright, I would have ignored that feeling. I just gave you a clever answer. But instead, I actually wanted to stay connected in an emotionally rapport way where my response didn't matter so much to me. My curiosity mattered much more. All that happened in the blink of an eye. And if I've done anything right in the years that I began coaching, it's learning to trust that much more than learning to Make sure that you ask the question in a non-yes or no way and blah, 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 all the powerful question. That's really important. But it's not important as important as that connection. And Because my experience was it yeah. deepened the conversation and it connected mm -hmm. me to a sense of that calling, that deeper thing that you were pointing towards. You know, mm -hmm. what, whatever we want to call that, we might have different names to it, but I felt, I felt more alive and I felt connected to an energy that, that animated me and wanted to be expressed something that I believe in. And, and, you know, even that's not quite right. It's almost like it, it moves through me, you know, maybe it's this sense of. Well, you know, uh, at the risk of, uh, being a little bit, um, intellectualized and mentory um, now let's imagine from that connected to self place embraced by someone who is non-judgmental but just curious right that's one way to describe what we were going through in that moment now imagine your call to answer the question for yourself should I bring the spiritual into my coaching session? It is what is who I, it is who I am. I mean, to me, that's the basis of coaching. 
Because the answer is, you have the answer. Hmm. Right? Do you want validation from, you know, a, a guy who's older, who's been doing this longer to say to you, yes, you're doing the way I went to my therapist for that validation. And notice she didn't give me a direct yes or no, that was wrong. You shouldn't do that. What she pointed out was I had the capacity to judge whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing to do by my ability to say, does it work? Hmm. Yeah. And you reported more aliveness, more energy, more connectedness. Now imagine you're then making a whole bunch of decisions about your life, the presenting agenda stuff from that place. You don't need me to answer the question. You just need me to be present with you. Mm. Yeah, you you mentioned that we're, I think at the beginning, like people are befuddled and I don't know if that's yeah. the word you use, but yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, particularly with the speed of life right now and the amount of information yeah. we're processing. And you mentioned Doug Silsby, who's a, you know, he was a friend of mine and, a, oh. a, you know, a beautiful soul. And um, I never had the good fortune of meeting him. I just yeah. read his work. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge soul. him. Mm. Yeah. He passed 10 years ago. Yeah. No, much more recently, I'd say uh, three or four years ago. Yeah. yeah. 2018, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but uh, the what, yeah, where was I going? It was like, um, yeah, just this capacity to, 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 to cultivate presence, that sensitivity mm. to hold a space where our clients can actually connect back to that inner knowing or that, that, that part of them, which, which does have the answers. Yeah. Mm. Which, which does know Mm. what wants to happen next. Mm. And I don't know if there's a question in that or a response that comes up, but I'm just curious, like what, what that's like for you. And I don't ask that for validation, but Mm -hmm. more for people listening. Cause I think, you remember, I remember our last conversation, and this is mm-hmm. something that came up again, and I think it's the difference that makes the difference in coaching for me. You're, you're saying mm-hmm. the same thing, I think. And what, What's it like for you to, um, to tune into? How do you know when it's showing up? You, know, you mentioned, like, I've had to, to learn to receive that intuition. Mm-hmm. What's it like for you in the moment when it's showing up? Well, I'll, I'll reflect back words that you used. It's energizing. It's enlivening. Um, I feel connected to a source that is greater than my brain. Um, something my current uh, therapist, psychoanalyst, likes to say. He's a, a he trained. Um, in the Jungian tradition, he said, uh, Carl Jung used to say that, that we don't heal with our words, meaning, meaning there's, a, there's a balm, B-A-L-M, balm, that um, comes from presence, comes from, 
from that. And magical thing is that it actually flows both ways. You know, I said, I, I referenced before that some coaches will, will ask me, how do I coach when the world is a dumpster fire? How do I coach when I feel like my life is falling apart? And um, when you relax the grip on needing to know and you step into those sessions and those conversations, um, the healing flows both ways. And, you know, think about, think about the last two years for you. What's it been like for you to coach during these last two years? For, you know, for me, I have felt a deeper and deeper and more profound connection to the vocation, the calling, than to the form and the structure. Yeah, I'm touched right now, you know, like as you as you talk about that connection to the vocation, it, it's it's like beyond this word coaching. And and there's a there's a humanness to it for me. Mm. You know, it, it's like I, I like I'm really in touch with my connection to you right now as you talk mm. about you know, as, as we connect to one another as coach and client. Like I yeah, there's a there's an intimacy here now as I'm with you and, and, I, and I, like I can't quite put it into words, but it's just like an appreciation of you and a sense of care that, mm-hmm. that is beyond me, Joel, as a you know, podcast host and you, Jerry, as, a, you know, as the guest, as, a, mm-hmm. as, a, as an executive coach. Mm-hmm. And I'm naming that because there's something in that that I think speaks to the part of our whole conversation today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the perhaps uh, there's these more superficial roles and mm-hmm. titles we have. And yet when we can be together in connection in this way, there's something living and human and simple and, um, and vital. And that, mm-hmm. Perhaps that is a, a balm for these times. You know, this is that balm. This is the community. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel it and appreciate it as well. Um, I don't really want to live my life without it. So I always orient to, towards it. Um, it's, it's at the root of how I write. It's the root of how I am. You know, last week I I spoke about this summit. And there I was in that sage on the stage posture. And, you know, uh, the host and organizer, a really, really sweet guy. He came to our very, very first boot camp. So I've known him for now eight years, eight plus years. And, uh, you know, we started off of kind of fireside chat because I just I just didn't want to do the whole shtick with slides and the whole thing. And he asked a question, and I and I said, you know, I'm I'm actually not going to respond to that. I need to say something. Um, in the previous weekend, I don't know if you've been tracking this. It was yet another our 180th um, uh, mass shooting in the United States in 2022. 180, okay? And this one in particular uh, hurt 
it was in Buffalo at the supermarket, and there's a uh, of of the ten folks who were killed, murdered. Uh, there's I, I believe she was 87 years old. I I can't get the picture of her out of my mind. The grandmother. And so I opened up and I said, I am so fucking sick and tired of white supremacy. I am so tired of gun violence. And, you know, I went on a little bit of a rant about the role of someone who looks and like me, white, cisgendered, male, straight, all the power and privilege that comes from having a body that is for the last 200, 300, 400 years been held up as some sort of personification of humanness. I mean, just what fucking utter nonsense, Hmm. you know, that has caused death and destruction. And I paused and, you know, the audience, which was all white people, presented as white people, um, took it in. And, and so why did I do that, Joel? I did that because I cannot be fully present for you unless I am fully present for me. Now, the risk in that moment is that I take the whole thing away and I narcissistically bring the attention back to me. But the truth is, there is suffering in this world. And I have to create space for my suffering. So hopefully, you know, there's some modeling that goes on. Right. Because, you know, for for God's sake, how do we end this stuff? We're not going to end it by ignoring pain and suffering, pretending that it doesn't exist. We have to actually be with it and simultaneously stay focused on the other client, on, on the client, stay focused on the other person, and lift up community, lift up connection, lift up compassion as a bomb that heals the whole damn world. Because in that moment to me, I feel that's, yeah, like you're saying, you were not, that was not narcissistic. You were presencing something that was there for you, that was, that was essential to be spoken for you. And I'm, I'm just imagining that that, you know, there was a kind of intensification in the room as you spoke from that place. Right. That it brought everybody into presence more, into connection with their own pain, perhaps, or the disbelief. I mean, I can't get my head around that, Jerry. 880 mass shootings. It just isn't in, in Europe. In, in we just don't have months. It's just insane. It's like, five months, Joel. Yeah. Five months. And, and, and there's a debate. There continues to be a debate about the availability of guns, right? Let alone the white supremacist rantings that are directly related to some of the most powerful people in media and politics in the United States, right? It was this this anti-Semitic, anti-Black, white supremacist structure. I mean, 
read his document. Don't read his document. It's incredibly painful. Mm. Right? Shooting black people because they're controlled by Jews. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I don't know any other way to deal with this other than to sit, as one of my teachers, Pema Chodron, wrote in Comfortable with Uncertainty, sit like a mountain in the midst of the hurricane and feel it. And from that place, respond to the client, respond to the world, respond to suffering, respond to the challenges. I don't know any other way to be. I, I'm just too tired to fixate on fixing. And that, that that's maybe again. There's a circular. If, I, I like this conversation because you know we're not talking about five steps to improving the <laughs> <your> clients. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a you know we we in fact we just <laughs> you don't get that from me. <laughs> and we just started the conversation by. Mm it just started. Yeah. We didn't do this kind of checking in where, how are you doing or not? I mean, you did ask me how I was, um, mm. but there's a, there's a kind of circularity to this, um, mm. to this conversation in, in the, um, and I've forgotten, I've forgotten what you just, just remind me what you just said. The last point you made. I don't want to fixate on fixing. Yeah. Um, it's coming to me. Yeah, it's, it's. I guess I, I expand out again, like because I'm touched again by what you share. Like I can feel a kind of an, an embrace, a, a, a presence, a, an energy of of um, you know not turning away, mm. not bullshitting, mm-hmm. and I, I again I think of like the the current world situation where many coaches are you know I, I guess I wonder about how much do you recommend coaches bring themselves in to their sessions in the way that you're talking about and because because many coaches I maybe I'm just I don't know if I can actually say this because I do I know these many coaches that I'm talking about you know is this just bullshit what I'm saying but I think I just imagine that people are feeling this sense of like I have to coach this person in this capitalist modernist system which has many flaws to it and people are stressed and uh, are they connected to this sense of purpose and meaning no, no they're not and so um, they're, they're in you know they're, they're kind of what am I trying to say it's like um, they're, they're in between places. It's like on the one hand, you don't want to just play the game, yeah? Like mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm not just going to coach in the same old game as normal. We're all being disturbed and disrupted. You know, so, so perhaps the call is into us all being radical in our, mm-hmm. in our kind of authenticity around feeling disturbed, feeling called into something deeper, not just playing the game as normal. Uh, but questioning, questioning things on this deeper level that I think we're talking about today. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, 
how much do coaches just play in that that business as usual, mm. or do you think it is our role to 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 be radical in our questioning and, and reveal ourselves in the process, reveal our our own pain and our own process? Well, there's a, there is a tension, and I named it somewhat as narcissism. There is a tend that there is a tension around um, how much we show up our, our, ourselves. And um, if you'll indulge me for a moment, um, one of the experiences I had in writing the book that I wrote, I'm in the middle of writing a new book and replicating some of the same structures. One of the experiences I had was to question the degree to which I myself was a character in the book. And um, because it's not a memoir, but I use memoir stories to illustrate points. So, for example, um, in one of the chapters, I talk about, quote unquote, the irrational other, which, you know, think about all the coaching sessions that we have to deal with where a client comes in and says, let me tell you about my crazy fill in the blank partner, co-founder, whatever. And it's all about that person and just how they're making them crazy. And I looked at that construct and I said, okay, who is the most irrational other in my life? Well, it was my mother when I was growing up. And what could I learn from that experience? What have I learned? And how do I bring that forth into adulthood? So the reason I bring that back was, is that um, it, it was risky. You know, Adam Grant called my book unusual. <laughs> he said some really wonderful things, but I fixate on that word. <laughs> um, I like to reinterpret it as unexpected um, because it's a leadership book that, you know, from page one starts to make you cry. Right? Okay. So an interesting phenomena happened and has happened since the book has been out. The book came out in June of 2019. Invariably, Two or three times a week, I get a message from someone that says, your story is my story. It happened last week at the summit. I ran into someone who had just come to one of our boot camps, one that I couldn't go to because I had COVID at the time. And he came up to me and he looks at me and he says, I read your book. I went to the boot camp. You're my brother. Our stories mm -hmm. are the same. Mm -hmm. We are so trained to be self-effacing. It's such a beautiful word. Where our face is wiped away. And we convince ourselves that for us to show up is some sort of dangerous precedent. Now, we are right to be wily because our egos will say, I will turn my organization, my romantic relationship, my relationship with my children as a parent, my, my coaching session, my client, really, I'll turn all of that into service of my wily ego. And we have to be mindful of that. We have to be very, very careful of that. But we are so worried about that, that we annihilate ourselves. And we leave the client bereft. Am I talking to the air? Am I talking to 
what and to, to bring it full circle back to the performance style coaching when the coach shows up and says oh my god i better not lose this client i better do what the hr department tells me to do so that i can keep that client so i'm going to fixate on fixing that client so that i get a paycheck newsflash that ain't coaching i don't know what it is but it ain't coaching You know, one of the first things I learned to do is to say to a client, I don't care who writes the check, who pays this bill. You are my client until you no longer want to be my client. Period. Hmm. Now, I'm privileged enough that I can push back on organizations to say, okay, I'm not in the fixing business. You want to hire me? This is the decision of the client. It is not your decision, head of HR, board member, or CEO, whatever it is, is reaching out. But I don't know any other way to be authentically true in those moments than to yeah. take that stance. Yeah. And I, I do think that's where our genius coaching comes out. That's what I think you've been saying. That's where your coaching got better. Maybe it is, yeah, you're like, you, you, you're successful, yeah? you you know, yeah, and I win organization, but say again, <laughs> I mean, instead the word genius. <laughs> I don't mean That's it in my the, style. I don't mean it in, I mean it more in the traditional Greek notion, ah, you know, ah, like yeah. not, not in, in like, like IQ your superpower, but, but yeah, like a kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. like um, I'll take that yeah. in. Yeah. I don't know any other way to be, I would be really, really uncomfortable trying to be that other style. Yeah. That's there. I, I wonder if there's anything else as we come towards the end of our conversation, just that you have, we haven't named, you know, maybe there's a, there's a call you want to make to the coaches listening. This whole conversation has been a, a call, but mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything that's not being spoken that you'd like to say. Uh, how about gratitude for doing the work, you know, um, Many years ago, I started uh, having an instinctive response when either a former client or an associate would say, hey, I've just finished training as to be a coach. And my response was, welcome to the Avengers. Um, and you're smiling. You, you know, um, we are first responders in our own way. Um, and just like a firefighter will go into a burning building, we are called to go into suffering and to make a difference. Um, look over your shoulders, right and left. You have other Avengers who are doing the same work. Don't feel so alone. Take comfort in the universality of the experience and the long lineages that we have and uh, don't fixate so much on the right way or the wrong way focus on the way that works Mm. that's a beautiful place to bring our conversation to a close and I'm really grateful we get to spend time together Jerry in these spaces and what I like about our time together today and last time too is that it's 
an unusual <laughs> to, to borrow Adam Grant's <laughs> conversation. Unexpected. <laughs> unexpected, yeah, but that, that's a better word actually. Unexpected, it, it it's um, it's enlivening through the unexpectedness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a normal conversation. There's mm-hmm. something that can come through, and I really appreciate that you 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 know you create the spaces for. For people to do that. Well, thank you for acknowledging that, and uh, it's a real pleasure and joy to show up. And thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, I will tell you that I've had a number of people reach out over the over the months since we recorded our first conversation, and then therefore found um, real value in all of your conversations. And I think having a conversation about coaching on an ongoing basis is incredibly important. It's really supportive to the work that people do. So we often point people to your podcast now who say, I want to be a coach. And I'm like, okay, listen to these conversations. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do want to ask where people can find out more about what you're up to as well, if you want to point people in directions. Sure. I mean, our website is uh, reboot.io. Um, and you can always follow me on uh, Twitter at Jerry Colonna um, and then reboot at reboot or at reboot HQ. Um, Margaret, our director of marketing does a phenomenal job of putting uh, good content and material out there. We're always trying to put material out there. And then of course we have a podcast that um, has really expanded the number of voices. So it's not just me, um, uh, which is really lovely. Uh, so we're always trying to put material out in the world that makes that that is accessible to people and just sort of continues the dialogue. And then stay tuned. I've got the new book. I've got to finish uh, my manuscript by the end of this summer, and that should be out theoretically by next year. Mm. Oh, wonderful. Great. Well, good luck with that. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, Joel. It was good seeing you. Be well and have a great day. Just a a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. 